You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Well, that sucked. Just an absolute dud of a game for the Jets against the Canucks on home ice. The four-game win streak is over. We'll get into the 4 nothing loss shortly, including the early hole in the first and what went wrong for the Jets there. It was also smoothie time in the second. Maurice got the line blender out, and we saw Dubois down the middle again. Some other moves were made. We'll get into how things should look up front moving forward as well. Plus, I really want to get into some trade talk with the deadline not all that far away. The Jets may be likely to be buyers to some degree. Ekholm, Savard, maybe a few other names both on the back end and up front as well. So I want to dive into potentially what the Jets should be targeting and what they should be giving up as well. We'll break that down later on in the episode. I got to start with this, though, first. Great news with the podcast before the weekend. If you guys didn't see, top 10 hockey podcast in Canada and the number one food podcast in Canada. That's right. All because of you guys. You're the absolute best. I just, I appreciate, you don't know how much I appreciate you guys tuning in and listening in what's been a, a crazy couple of weeks for me personally. So, I, I want to find a way to keep the big mo going. We've got a ton of great guests coming up in the next few episodes as well. Some ex-Jets are going to join me. Some other big names in the hockey and sports world, the food world as well. So make sure to tune into the next couple of episodes. Well, every episode moving forward. But specifically what we got coming up on tap for you guys shortly here. It's going to be outstanding. But again, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I, I love you. It's been a blast. Now, unfortunately, we have to go from some good news and good vibes to whatever the hell that was against the Vancouver Canucks for the Jets last night. I mean, I I guess the easy explanation is that over the course of 82 games in a season, or in this one where, you know, over the course of 56 games, you're just going to have some stinkers. Like, there's just going to be some games where you don't have it as a team. And and that's what it was for the Jets pretty much right from the get-go until... That final empty netter for the Vancouver Canucks to make it 4 nothing, Just never felt like the Jets were really into the game, right? Like, I mean, so many missed passes, so many kind of routine plays that they bungled. And bungled's a pretty sweet word, actually. But nonetheless, they, they just never had it all game long, right? Like, that was kind of the, the gist of it. 
And so we'll break down. We'll start with the first period there because that's where, I mean, obviously, give up three in the first 20 minutes. It's going to be pretty pretty brutal to try and find a way to come back from that consistently. So what went wrong on those plays there? All very similar, all done in a short time span, and, and that's really what ended up sinking the Jets last night. I mean, the first one, quite simply, is just a bad break. It's, it's bad luck. Mason Appleton makes the right play on a block shot against Nate Schmidt, and he gets hurt. And he can't get back into the play in time, and ultimately that's what ends up leading to the shot. Bit of a flutter puck hits off a guy or two there on the way in. Just like bad luck all around on that specific play on the first goal. Now the other two, is there some bad luck? Yes. Because, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe we should stop looking at, at deflection goals as... A bit of bad luck because the guys are so talented nowadays that they find a way to make it happen for them pretty consistently. But there were some breakdowns and, and to me, some things that stood out in a negative light and could get fixed moving forward. You know, and we've had this discussion before on, on different platforms. And people have asked, you know, what makes Kyle Connor a bad defensive player? Because we know what the numbers are. I mean, you can use the eye test, and it's it's pretty evident that he struggles inside his own zone. But what kind of leads him to being, unfortunately, one of the worst contributors defensively when it comes to forwards across the NHL? And to me, that second goal is the prime example of it. it it's nothing totally egregious on the play there, right? It's not a, you know, trying to make a pass right up the middle of the ice and nobody's there and it's a picked off play two on one like it's not one of those absolute back-breaking plays but sometimes it's just the little things that can add up over the course of a season whether or not that puck ultimately goes in there that eventually you become a negative player in that regard and that's what I saw there on that second play on the second goal rather is that Kyle Connor is he's just not in a good position defensively it's not terrible. He's not leaving Nate Schmidt wide alone back door for a tap-in. But if you if you take a look at it there, when Nate Schmidt gets the puck up there at the blue line, Kyle Connor has sagged off a handful of feet away from him. So time and space is still available for Nate Schmidt to make a play. And also as egregious is the fact that Kyle Connor's positioning isn't very good. He's He's not in a shooting lane. He's not forcing Nate Schmidt to either throw the puck into the corner or look off for a pass somewhere else. He's kind of allowing all options to continue to be available for him on the play there. And so it's just little things like that, right? Where all it is is a step or two up on Nate Schmidt. All it is is, you know, a couple of inches to one side and, and maybe that play gets eliminated, right? Like it's just these little tiny details that I think Kyle Connor needs to shore up in his game. And some of those defensive woes aren't as glaring by the time that, you know, this is a couple seasons going on now, right? But, like, just fixing those things, he'll be a much stronger player overall. And that's what I saw there on that second goal is just, you know, one or the other. Either get in the shooting lane and Nate Schmidt, you know, can't have free range and just throw it right up the middle of the ice for a tip. Or if you're a little higher up and you get out there a bit quicker... You're probably forcing a pass or just a dump it into the corner and you try and regroup and grab that puck and head out back the other end. So I, I had a problem, I think, mainly with that second goal out of the three in the first period. That one, to me, was the most egregious and the most correctable on top of it. The third goal, too, look, that that one sucked. Those, I mean, goals like that really pissed me off. 
when I'm watching a game and for 85, 90% of a power play, a team can't even break into the zone. Like the Jets do everything right in terms of preventing a clean entry into their own end. Vancouver gets set for what felt like half a second and then all of a sudden the puck's in the back of their net after a minute 40 of perfect penalty kill time. Like that, so there, there was, again, a little bit of bad luck on that play. But what you saw is, again, I think something that's pretty correctable. You know, Tyler Myers gets the puck up there. Now, the, the Jets aren't super aggressive to begin with, but that's not really the issue to me on the play where, you know, maybe Andrew Cobb could have ran out to, to Myers a little bit quicker and, and forced something else to happen there. But you have a couple forwards right there in the middle of the slot area, not in front of the net, but kind of in the, the, the not the low slot, but the high slot. And Josh Morrissey just doesn't tie up Niels Hoglander, right? Like, again, just a little detail sort of a play. Two in a row, and that pretty much spells curtains for the Jets on the night. So it's it's one of those things where was there some bad luck? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they probably could have used a couple of bounces to go their way, uh, but there were also some easy correctable things that I think the Jets could and, and should iron out. Maybe I mean, no reason that it can't happen for the rematch on Tuesday night. Now, having said that, too. You know, this is a team that probably got their fair share of bounces Saturday night against Montreal. Holy shit, was that ever just... That that was a kicking of, of epic proportions. So I, I think if you take a look at the last two games as a whole, you're probably like, yeah, two points. I, I'd say that's, that's pretty fortunate for the Jets there. So maybe you didn't get the bounces against the Canucks, but you find a way in the last two at least to get two out of four points. And that's not all that bad. Now, maybe the most intriguing thing to come out of that game against the Canucks at least in the near future for the Jets is the lineup switch that we saw in the second period and, and I felt it felt like it was something that was pretty much at the front of Paul Maurice's mind he was maybe waiting for a little more struggle in his team's game and then he was going to get to it but we saw the switch up no more Pierre-Luc Dubois up as a winger on that top line Paul Stasny makes the move up there to join Wheeler and Shifley and then we get the long-awaited, I guess, quote-unquote, debut of Ehlers, Connor, and Dubois as a trio. And I guess a little bit of a mixed bag. I, I wouldn't say they jumped off the page in a positive light. There, there were some good plays by the trio for sure. And we'll get into one of those plays in particular here in just a little bit. But... I don't know. Come see, come saw, right? Like so, so. <laughs> I, I would like to see them get another chance, though. I would, I would hope that Paul Maurice gives those three a couple of games at the very least. Work out the Kings, find some chemistry. I mean, we all know there's a ton of potential there with those three. I mean, if that's your second line, God help the rest of the North Division if they can get clicking. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, not a not a lot of jump off the page moments for that line in the game. I did think the Shifley Wheeler Stasny trio though looked pretty damn solid. They, I mean, they were the most dangerous offensive unit that the, that the Jets had all night long. So I'm just not going to be surprised if that's how we see this team hit the ice Tuesday night against the Canucks. And you know what? I think it's at the point right now where you could put Paul Stasny basically anywhere in the lineup. And I'm not even necessarily discounting defense as well. You know what I mean, though? Like, you can put Paul Sassy anywhere, and he's going to be just fine. And whoever he's with is going to find a way to look pretty good out there. So I, I have faith in that one. 
a little more, not necessarily doubt, but a little more fogginess when it comes to Pierre-Luc Dubois. But I do think ultimately we need to see him get back down the middle and play center for this team pretty consistently. I mean, we can get into the debate, you know, should this team be a little more heavy down the middle? Should they go to that four centers where you have Shifley, Dubois, Lowry, Stasny, and you figure out the wingers in the meantime? Or should they keep on with this loaded top nine uh, a scenario? I mean, that's a different debate in a sense. I do think the one no doubt about it, though, is that give Pierre-Luc Dubois 10, 15 games in a row down the middle and try and figure out a combination that works the best with him. Finding chemistry for him is the most important thing moving forward. Now, I did touch on it there a little bit. I actually, you know, a lot of people have been upset recently with the fourth line and, you know, this team not maybe trying to incorporate the deepest center lineup in the division for sure, maybe across the entire NHL. But I don't mind the loaded top nine right now. I, I don't mind that experiment continuing moving forward. I, I just I, I guess the thing I do wonder about is if you go with the four centers down the middle like that, can you figure out a combination of wingers that could still give you some production moving forward? You know, like, can, can a Harkins or a Veselainen step into the lineup and give you some solid minutes and, and find a way to produce offensively? I, I don't know if that's... I don't know. I just have my doubts about that right now. So I don't mind this top nine experiment continuing here because, in all honesty, too, I guess my biggest concern is just that you don't want to see Shifley and Wheeler particularly get burnt out and outworked and outused and all of a sudden it's April and those two guys are running on fumes before you've even entered any kind of potential playoff series. But even in last night's game against the Canucks, when you're chasing it, Shifley's at 22 minutes. Wheeler's at 20 minutes. Like that That's not that bad if that's going to be kind of the, the maximum amount of ice time that Mark Shifley gets in a scenario where you're going to throw him out there a bunch in the third period. So I don't mind the top nine experiment. I'm cool with that continuing for a little bit. If these offensive struggles continue moving forward, then maybe it's time you go super big time heavy down the middle. But as of now, I don't mind it all that much. You're listening to Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rowicki, breaking down a tough 4-0 loss for the Jets on home ice to the Canucks. One other thing in the game I want to get to specifically, and something that's plagued this team in the past too, Holy crap, was there ever a lot of opportunities for this team to get some shots and high danger chances. And what did they, they passed up damn near everything, didn't they? I mean, this was one of those games, and it happened sometimes with extremely skilled teams up front, where it sounds like there was a a bet or, or something before the game where, guys, we have to make five passes before we can even think about putting the puck into the net. Can we pass the puck into the net if that's possible? That's what it felt like the game plan was between the forwards last night. I mean, it was just, it was really frustrating when, when you're struggling to score and, and you're trying to get back into the game. I mean, Shifley passes it to Wheeler on that one play. I mean, prime scoring area right in the slot and then Wheeler feeds it right back. And he even said post game that was a, just a bad decision on his part. Then you have Nick Ehlers, that two-on-one. A great play by Dubois there, actually, to chip it in to create the odd man rush. And then for no reason at all, tries the between-the-legs pass. Which, hey, look, I don't I don't mind 
going that route if need be, but that to me felt a little bit unnecessary. Another scoring chance gone by the wayside. Stasny in the slot. Passed up a, a prime scoring opportunity. It was just, again, one of those nights where they felt off right from the get-go. And they certainly weren't helping themselves and doing themselves any favors as well. Hopefully that gets rectified later on this week. And I, I guess the month in a whole, there's just so much damn hockey to be played here for the Jets. But that was something that it just pissed me off. And I'm sure a bunch of people watching the game felt the very same. Be very interesting to see if the Jets maybe overcorrect that to an extent tomorrow night against Vancouver. And maybe we see a little more than 20 shots thrown their way for the majority of the game until, you know, the game is out of reach in the third period there. But let's move on from that. I really don't want to talk about the awfulness that was that 4 nothing loss any longer. I do want to get to this, though. And there's a ton of intrigue to me with the trade deadline this year, especially here in Winnipeg. I mean, you're dealing with a quarantine, you're dealing with a compressed schedule, you're dealing with a team who, I don't know if the GM feels this way, but is our window closing? Does there need to be a degree of aggressiveness and damn the torpedoes, let's get some guys in here and try and take a run at a cup? Like, there's a lot of things on the table right now for Kevin Sheveldayoff and what is another critical year for the organization. So I want to look at a couple pieces, and we'll start with the blue line, obviously, because that's where, if there's going to be a major splash made at the deadline for the Jets, that's where it's going to come. There are a couple forwards that hold some intrigue for me that we'll get to a little bit later on here, but first I want to talk about some of the big names, one in particular, that I think at least the Jets should be very aggressive and very intent on finding a way to make a fit happen. But first... You've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports, and how payday can come every day by entering their contests with huge cash prizes up for grabs. This week is jam-packed with action ranging from basketball to golf, and DraftKings has plenty of ways for you to have a front row seat to all the action. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is super easy to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweats like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. And DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there is no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up using code THPN. New users will get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code THPN to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Made myself a DraftKings lineup Saturday night, and it was awful. I made no money. I'll be trying to get tomorrow night a bunch of games on tap for Tuesday. So it's one of those fun things to do, especially if you're looking maybe for some time to kill. You want to make a couple bucks. You sign up here, it's five bucks, it's super easy to do, and there's the potential for a big payday, so give it a try, it's worth it, it's fun. Now speaking of fun, does Mateus Ekholm as a Winnipeg Jets sound fun to you? Let's let's get right into it here. And I would love to know what you guys think. I, I haven't really been able to get a firm read on the temperature of the Jets fan base as to whether or not they would be all in on a Matthias Ekholm deal to Winnipeg. 
Let me know on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki or on the podcast account at Skates Plates Pod. Let me know what your best offer is. Let's go with that. You have one final offer to pry Ekholm out of Nashville. I would love to know just how aggressive Jets fans would be to make that happen. Or do you want them to to stay away from that? Keep the first round pick and, and whatever else or whatever else it might cost the team. Maybe try to bargain by or maybe just stand pad as a whole. I would, I would just love to know what you guys are thinking on a potential Matthias Ekholm trade. My thoughts? Yeah, I'm all in for it. I think this is definitely something the Winnipeg Jets and Kevin Shevolayoff should go pretty close to all in on. Now, I do have some some no-nos, some things that I would not be willing to do to acquire Mateus Ekholm from Nashville. And I, I guess the, the main thing would be this. There will be no Dylan Sandberg trades, and there will be no Vili Hanela trades. That That's it. Now, if a deal can't be made because Nashville is insistent on that, I'm out. I just, I don't want to go down that road. I'd be a little maybe tempted if it was Sandberg or nothing else to, to find a way to make it happen. But I just, to me, those are two borderline building blocks for the future on the back end. And those ELCs as well, I'm not moving those even for somebody as talented as Matthias Ekholm. Now, having said that, I don't think those two defensive prospects are mandatory for a deal to be made. I'm just saying I'm not moving either one of those guys. And if that's what the cost ends up needing to be, I'm totally okay with Chevy, you know, shying away from making that deal happen. But first, here's the simple reason why I think the Winnipeg Jets should target Mateus Ekholm in a potential trade. He'd immediately be the Jets' best defenseman. Like, it's that simple. Take left and right-handed away from it. To me, Ekholm is a no-doubt-about-a-top-pair guy. End of story. If you can find a way to acquire somebody like that at a position of need for a team, for what sounds like not all that outlandish of a price, yeah, I'm going to find a way to make that work. Now, before we get into the potential price that it would cost Kevin Chevalier to acquire Matthias Ekholm, there are some more philosophical questions that maybe we should get into, and it, it probably determines whether you're in or out on a trade of this magnitude. The first and, and maybe most pressing is just this. Would the Winnipeg Jets be a Stanley Cup contender with Matthias Ekholm on the team? A top pair of Morrissey Ekholm, Pionk Forbort, and then DeMello Beaulieu probably, or DeMello Poole, however you want to work at that as your third pair. Stanley Cup contender, I, 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 would, I would give that a maybe. Like, maybe they would be? At the very least, they I would put them maybe in the Dark Horse category. And Dark Horse can get you a long way in the playoffs, especially when they're facing the North Division. As good of an opportunity as anybody to go all the way. But I, I would maybe put the Jets just outside that cutoff line for no doubt about it, Stanley Cup contender. Now, the contender aspect is one thing. The other thing that I think we should look at is the fact that, unfortunately, whether it's Nathan Beaulieu, I mean, Sammy Niku, Tucker Pullman, I don't think you're winning, never mind a Stanley Cup, but too many playoff series 
if your top pair is going to consist of one of those defensemen and then Josh Morrissey as your top pair. Like, there's that as well. Like, you're just not going to go deep into the playoffs, I don't think, with that as your top pairing. Echo Morrissey gives you a hell of a chance, though, doesn't it? Like, that sounds a lot better. Wouldn't, like... And, and just imagine that, too, like opening up Neil Pionk to face lesser competition. But when you go up against the McDavid's and when you go up against the Matthews, Montreal maybe not as much, but don't you feel a lot better with Echo Morrissey out there on the ice trying to slow down 97 or 34? I do. It, it gives me maybe a shred of optimism that the Jets have a duo or a pairing that could at least limit the damage that they would face going up against some of those high-flying duos in Toronto and Edmonton. I mean, the more I talk about it, the more I kind of talk myself into, this is this is only a good thing for the Jets if they could find a way to make this happen. Now again, we'll get to the price in just a sec. The other potential negative that I've seen brought up with any team acquiring Ekholm or acquiring anybody with some term on their deal is the upcoming expansion draft. Do you want to give up some assets for a guy that could potentially be plucked off your roster for nothing in just a couple of months? Basically a rental, even though Ekholm has one year left on his deal. I don't think that's a problem for the Jets, though. Maybe for some of these other teams. But it's not like the Jets have, like we all know, a ton of depth on the back end. I mean, if Ekholm was to come here, we all know Josh Morrissey is likely to be one of the protected players, and Neil Pionk would be the other one there. If you protected Ekholm and still went 7-3-1, Dylan DeMello would obviously be the guy that I think Seattle would look at taking off Winnipeg's roster. And, and yes, it would suck because you're losing a good defenseman. But at the same time, if Ekholm was here, it's really more like you're losing a third-pairing defenseman and one that makes $3 million per season. So it, it kind of gets mitigated a bit to me where you're losing a guy, but it's not like he's a top four defenseman and you're, and you're trying to fill that hole, right? Like at that point, with the rookies that this team has, you can get a veteran for a mill nowadays to, to play third pair minutes. A loss like that wouldn't be as devastating. And I think you would find a way to keep Ekholm and protect him for that year. So I don't even look at the expansion draft in a negative light whatsoever. I, I think the Jets still would be pretty well situated to withstand a loss like that, even if Matthias Ekholm was on the roster next season. Now let's get into the price here. And there's been a few names mentioned in terms of, you know, looking at past comparables. What could you possibly expect Nashville to either ask or eventually get in a deal? And it was the two Kings defensemen that had been traded you know, in, uh, I believe, the past two years. Jake Muzzin and Alec Martinez. Martinez to Vegas goes for a pair of second rounders. Muzzin was a first round pick and then a prospect and the rights to another prospect on top of that. And I believe, I know one of the prospects, Grunstrom, was a second round pick. Sean Dursey was the other player. I can't remember off the top of my head where he was picked, but kind of too... B-level prospects, I guess, if you will. I I mean, hey, if it was two second-round picks for Ekholm, sign me up for that all day. But I imagine with a bidding war, it's going to be a little more hefty than that. I, I think any trade for Ekholm requires a first-round pick going the other way. And that does suck. And I know there's going to be 
a, a big portion of the Jets fan base that is like, no, no more first round picks. We're not trading any of those. Unless it's for something, you know, three, four, five years down the road, we have a guy. We, we've already moved on from too many of those players in the past. And I get that. Like, I understand that. And this team drafts so well that I there, there should be a bit of hesitancy to move picks like that. But at the same time, is this year's first round pick the same as other first round picks? I mean, if there is a draft, there hasn't really been a whole lot of scouting going on either, right? There hasn't been a whole lot of games for most of these prospects to even get into it. Who knows how many they're going to get into this season, if, if any more at all. If any of the junior leagues find a way to get back on track for multiple games. You know what I mean? Like, if, if there was ever a year to not have a first-round pick, maybe this is the year to do it. As well as the Cole Perfetti selection the year prior, to, to me, it kind of lessens a bit of the damage that not having a first-round pick might normally have for a team like Winnipeg. So I'm actually okay with the Jets giving up a first-round pick in a deal to get some kind of a player with some weight behind him. Now we get into the the plus part of the deal. Because I do believe with the teams interested, I know the Flyers are definitely going to be heavy in on Mateus Ekholm. and might be the, the clubhouse leader right now. Boston for sure is going to be in there. Don't be shocked if another playoff team or two makes a run at them. So I think there's going to have to be a decently significant prospect going back the other way for the Jets. I, again, I don't believe, and it shouldn't be either Hanela or Sandberg. To me, they're both untouchables. So if we're looking at defensemen, I don't know, a first-round pick in Logan Stanley, for example, it would be a tough loss for the Jets for sure because, you know, you finally got to see Logan Stanley get some actual NHL games in. But at the same time, if you're going to get talent, you got to give up a little bit as well. And I could see Nashville looking at a six foot seven defenseman that can skate and has shown at the very least that he, he likely is an NHL moving forward. Hey, let's give that a roll. Maybe have that beside Roman Yossi. Let Roman Yossi carry the puck and Logan Stanley can worry about just being a big ass human. So that is another name that I think could be of value and, and maybe might be at the top of the Nashville Predators wish list. With Hanel and Sandberg both being untouchable. I do wonder too how people feel like would Stanley or Chisholm, Declan Chisholm, kind of be the next man up in terms of the the pecking order of Winnipeg Jets prospects. Probably at this point you would have Stanley ahead of Declan Chisholm. But maybe Nashville feels differently and likes what the former fifth rounder has shown so far in his pro career. So I would say those are two names that you would look at as potential candidates to go the other way. Up front... I don't know if the Jets would want to part with David Gustafson. I would, I mean, I would be okay with it if that's what Nashville wanted, a first and David Gustafson. But you would like, hopefully, in an ideal world to have him stick with the Jets organization. I would be okay, though, if Christian Veselainen was the piece going back the other way. And I think that even with, you know, substandard production at the professional level in terms of offensive production, you know, that's still a former first-round pick who's a big, fast specimen. I could I could understand an organization looking at that and going, hey, we get him in our building, we can find a way to make that work. To me, that might be the more ideal trade. I mean, I'm kind of out on the, the Veselainen being a meaningful contributor for the Winnipeg Jets anyways. So if it was a first-round pick in Christian Veselainen, 
You know, I, I'm okay with that. I wonder if Nashville feels like that's fair value. But I do feel like that's kind of the, the meat and potatoes of this deal. That it's going to be a first-round pick, and then maybe Kevin Shevelayoff says, take your pick. Would you rather have Logan Stanley, or would you rather have Christian Veselainen? We'll give you one, but we're not going to give you both. And I wonder how Jets fans feel about that deal. Is that too much? Do you think that's not enough? Are you cool with that price? Again, let me know on Twitter, at Brandon underscore Rewiki. I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on a potential Matthias Ekholm trade. For me, even if it was Stanley or Veselainen, I'm going out there. I make that move because Matthias Ekholm would be immediately the Winnipeg Jets' best defenseman. I should mention too, by the way, there is going to be some concern because he's a left-handed shot. Can he play on the right side? If you go on to the Athletic, Nashville, uh, the beat writers have done some potential you know, trade proposals for other teams, the Flyers being one of those. And they did mention in it that Ekholm obviously primarily plays the left side, but he has over the last couple of seasons played on the right a little bit. By all accounts, he's looked just as effective on the right side as he has on the left, and he's done that without Ellis Oyosi by his side. I know Fabro was his partner for a little bit and, and some other players as well. So it does sound like Ekholm is going to be one of those guys that can play either side. So that does also give the Jets a bit of a boost in terms of they could acquire him and have Morrissey on the left, Ekholm out there on the right, which is great news and a potential deal. Now, if it's not Matthias Ekholm, if that price is too much for some Jets fans to stomach, what about a guy that I thought the team could potentially acquire going into this season? And he's a UFA at the end of the year, so this would be a purely rental deal. You don't even have to worry about the expansion draft in Seattle. He was number two on Frank Saravelli's trade bait board heading into the deadline. Does David Savard tickle anybody's fancies out there? That's a guy that I've always felt would be a really good fit here in Winnipeg. And in my opinion, he would almost be Derek Forbert plus. Like he brings a lot of the same elements that Derek Forbert does. But I just think he does them a little bit better. He's got a little bit more of a higher track record as well. And you could put a big, mean, nasty dude like David Savard, a right-handed shot, right beside Josh Morrissey on that pairing. And I think you'd feel good. At the very least, it would be an upgrade over Pullman Bolu. I, I would still like somebody with a little more puck-moving chops to their game than a David Savard. But I would certainly, I, I would listen to it if the Ekholm deal falls through. To me, that's the one that I would look into as a potential fallback option if I'm Kevin Cheveldayoff. The price isn't going to be as high either. I mean, my initial guess would be a second-round pick for David Savard as a rental. Maybe a late-round pick thrown in as well or a kind of C-level prospect, but I, I don't mind that. It wouldn't be my, my first option. I would still kind of go all-in with Ekholm. But it's an interesting name to keep some tabs on here moving forward, especially with Columbus, you know, seemingly heading to the bottom of the division, or at the very least outside of the playoff picture. And who knows what John Tortorella's future is going to be there. But I'm not going to be shocked if eventually come deadline, if David Savard becomes expendable. I think it's an interesting name, at least, that we should maybe, let's just keep tabs on that as we move forward, okay? Now, that's the defenseman. I mean, there's some other names as well potential candidates that I'm seeing. I mean, Brandon Montour out there in 
the absolute hellhole that's been Buffalo. I mean, my God, if you, by the way, if you see a Sabres fan or you know a Sabres fan, please give them a hug. I, I just feel awful for Buffalo right now. They they are just so pathetic. It, it it's it's brutal. Coaches, players, just the the entire organization sucks right now, and I just feel bad. So Sabres fans, I I feel your pain. You shouldn't have to watch that. But that's neither here nor there. Brandon Montour is an option. I, I mean, he hasn't been great, but nobody has in Buffalo. It's one of those scenarios where. I mean, maybe you pluck a guy out of a crappy situation, you bring him to a playoff team, and you see an uptick in his performance. I, I would probably stay away from that. And then the other names just, to me, aren't all that much of a major upgrade that I think you give up assets for. You know what I mean? To me, I'm going big or I'm just going home and I'm standing pat when it comes to a potential defenseman being joined for the playoff run. Now, before we call it an episode, I do want to get to the forwards quickly. Because I wouldn't mind seeing the Jets pick up, and I'm not talking about a top six guy, like there's the the Paul Marys, Philip Forsberg, Raquel Granlin. Like I, I think I think we're looking and, and talking about somebody a little lower on the depth chart and, and somebody that might just be, you know, a mid to late round pick acquisition. But I would like to see the Jets grab at, at least one winger. Somebody that can potentially fill in. And then if the Jets do go for centermen, you have a chance to maybe piece together a little bit more of a productive lineup by picking up a winger or two. It's tough because we don't know what the prices are. I'm all in on Sam Bennett, though. The cool thing with Bennett, too, is that you don't have to worry about the 14-day quarantine in the North Division. It seems like he's on the way out, even if Calgary gets back into the playoff push. But I just think, I don't know, people talk about you know the grit and the the physical aspect of the playoffs and that the Jets are maybe still missing a little bit of that. Sam Bennett, no doubt about it, brings that in spades. And I thought he was one of the best forwards for the Flames in their mini playoff run last season. I, I just think he's a guy that once the going gets tough, he elevates his game. And I would definitely kick the tires on Sam Bennett. I have no clue whatsoever what the asking price is for him. And, and maybe there might be some teams that offer a bit more than the Jets can handle. But he would probably be at the top of my wish list in terms of a more realistic target outside of the high-end offensive producers that are probably going to cost the Jets a little too much, especially if Mr. Eckholm is on his way to Winnipeg. Some other names too, though, and, and ones that I would just keep an eye on, ones that wouldn't cost the Jets all that much as well. Bobby Ryan is a name and, and a guy that I, I think would be a fun little, little addition. I, I would love to see Bobby Ryan here in Winnipeg. Pending UFA, he only makes a mil. It, it is one of those pure deadline additions that I think teams make each year that it goes a little bit under the radar, but they come there and they make a big impact. And he's had some pretty impressive postseason success as well, including that run the Senators had a couple of seasons ago. So that's a guy that I would be intrigued and would definitely acquire, inquire on. And, and maybe it comes at a, at, a, at a reduced price as well. The other one, and, and we can get into more of these as we get closer to the trade deadline, but just some names. And let me know too if there's a forward or two out there that you guys would like to see come to Winnipeg. But Ryan Dezingle as well. He's with Ottawa. He came over in the Galchenyuk, everybody moves, Carolina, Ottawa trade. I, I mean, he's going to get flipped again at the deadline. 3.375 mil is the cap hit pending UFA. I would imagine Ottawa eats maybe as much as half of that. 
But that's another dev piece that I think would fit in real well with the Winnipeg Jets. I just think as we get closer, we're going to see another winger added to this team. I think there's a spot missing. And then if a move like that is made, I wouldn't be shocked to see Paul Maurice go to that four center lineup because you have another piece and you feel pretty good that as, as far as wingers go, you'd be, I don't know, eight deep at that point. Definitely something to keep an eye on as we move forward here. And like I said, we'll break this down in further detail as we move along. But that's going to do it for another episode here. We're back at it on Friday. We'll break down the rematch against the Canucks. It's just a really, really busy schedule as well for the Winnipeg Jets in the month of March. I mean, things just get absolutely crazy. All the amount of, of road games and everything like that. But we'll definitely break down. And I got a good feeling about the rematch against the Canucks. I think the Jets are going to come out with a much better effort. But we'll break down that one. Also, the Montreal Canadiens are back on tap. This one in Quebec. That's a Thursday nighter. So we'll break down that game in full. Another great food interview as well. Lined up for you guys. A jam-packed episode Friday. No doubt about it. So you're going to want to make sure you tune in for that one. Get your Jets fix in. Get your foodie fix in as well. But again, this has been another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Thanks so much for tuning in. Peace.